Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Greetings, Dave. Um, Greetings. <laughs> six, six mod revival bands. Mod five revival them, bands. Mod revival. Five of them bona fide, and one a figment of my very occasionally fertile imagination. Can you spot the ringer? All right? Six mod revival bands. Okay, go on. Cigarettes. Uh, right. You know, write these down. Yeah, better, aren't they? All right. Uh, okay, We've got go. the cigarettes. Ooh. Small hours. Yeah. Eyes down, no conferring. Go on. Go on. <laughs> Squire. Squire. Yeah. Yeah. Dog tooth. Dog tooth. The uh, risk. Oh God. And oh. the retreads. Good grief. So well, the only the one point. I know for definite were real is Squire. That's right, they were. They were real. Yes, I so, know them too, actually. The cigarettes, the risk, dog tooth, dog tooth. Well, that, but yeah, I thought that was a, a reference, tailoring reference, uh, but it's actually hound's tooth check they talk about, don't they? Not dog tooth. So no, dog in mod, I, I think in fact, you'll find you're wrong there. In mod, oh. it's, a, it's, a, it's a mod clothing pattern, dog tooth. Oh, I always thought it was hound's tooth. No, no, they call it dog too. Oh, okay. So that may be real, or it may be you making it up. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to say the risk are made up. The risk. Do you know, I feel bad about that. I've talked you out of it. <laughs> it is dog tooth. <laughs> it is dog tooth. But I was looking at mod clothing, and dog tooth came up, like dog tooth pattern. And I thought it sounded a bit, uh, a bit you know, like a band trying too hard to be. Well, it sounds, fly, it sounds a like a, it sounds like a heavy metal group, really, doesn't it? It does a bit. Word, the word dog. dog in it. I was uh, going to go for the Crombies or the Harringtons or Statecrest, no, right. but actually, Statecrest did exist. There was a group called Statecrest. Was there really? Yeah, there was. Yeah, well, that'd be trademark. You wouldn't be allowed to do uh, that. No, no. Okay, I'm coming back at you. Go on. Rappers. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Hip hop stars. Okay. Okay. Fabulous. Yeah. Froggy Fresh. <laughs> Gangster Boo. 
ridiculous. Ridiculous is ridiculous is brilliant. That's got a Z in it, I assume. No. And fabulous. filthy rich. Filthy rich. Oh, these are brilliant. So fabulous, fabulous, fabulous froggy fresh, froggy fresh, gangster boo, ridiculous, and filthy rich. Okay, gangster boo's got to be real because it's so absurd. It's got to be real. Froggy fresh, I think, might be equally gauche and daft. Ga- fabulous isn't quite exciting enough to to be something you've made up. Ridiculous is great. As is filthy rich. Uh, filthy rich is is a, the wonderful kind of irony that a lot of uh, rap names have. I'm going to go for ridiculous. Yeah, that's you're the right. made up one. Am you're I right? right? It's oh right. my it, lord! It's Pinch from uh, Thirty Rock, the Tina Fey series. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all talking about you know they're fans of a rapper called Ridiculous. <laughs> that's good. That, was, that was a great. Name. That is a great name. Like fabulous, ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so oh, okay. Well, I didn't do what's very the well, name of the rapper that uh, oh, I've completely forgotten now that uh, that Jack Black plays. Um, oh, I don't know. Oh, well, come to me in a minute. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous is good. <laughs> all the rest are real. Froggy Frash, Gangster Boo, Filthy Rich, Fabulous. Yeah, all real. Part you know, uh, hip hop, you can't make it up, can you? Really? You can't make it up. You, you can't Froggy make it up. Fresh is fantastic. Talking of hip hop and thing, things being made up, um. Oh, damn, I've t- printed this out and uh, I've left it over there. Um, this morning, uh, Kanye West announced that he is withdrawing his, <laughs> his attempt to run for president of the United States in, uh, you know, in this year's election. This is, this is two weeks after he announced that he was going to do it. Yeah. And I just thought... For flakiness, this is a, it's kind of a new world record, isn't it, this? You know, you announce out of nowhere you're going to run for president of the United States, even though everybody knows you can't, you're too late practically, apart from anything else. You know, Far too late. You have to put in your nomination papers <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whatever you have to All do. All we know is you've got the money. And uh, and so he does it, he says he's going to do it, and then two weeks later he goes, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Change so, I had a look at it and I thought, actually, it's quite hard work. And, <laughs> and it doesn't look a lot of fun some yeah. of the time. Occasionally yeah. you get things wrong and it's... people don't like you for it. You think, what is going on in the head of Kanye West? That, that... Yeah. And also, and also, I'll tell you what, the other thing is, there's clearly nobody in his orbit who can go, Kanye, just, this is me, your old mate, your manager or whatever, talking, not a good idea, don't do that. You know, it just kind of, I suppose it's social media, isn't it? You know, the kind of wildest ideas just are published straight away, aren't they? You don't have to go through anybody else to do them. They're out there. If you get out of bed thinking you want to run for president of the United States, you do it. Could he have just randomly tweeted that at two o'clock in the morning? I think he probably did. With his manager, he probably did. Oh, yeah, well, that's how things are announced nowadays, isn't it? You know, you don't need to go through any intermediaries. So, yeah, that's that's all the hip-hop news we got for this week. Um, (laughs) So, TV, right? Live Aid. Oh, all right. Did you you watch... I got a text on whatever it was, Friday night, was it? Or Saturday night, Friday night. I think, um, saying, turn on BBC Two, they're rerunning the old doc. Oh, God. But you and I were on. And I don't know if you saw any. Did no. you see any of it? No. no, no. <laughs> and I saw the second half. It's, I thought it was quite interesting. You know, a documentary made in 2005 about Live Aid, and the things, you know, various things struck me. One was the extraordinary respect for royalty. Royalty, I, I don't know if it was royalty, or just Lady Di. I mean, people were so exercised about the royal couple being there. 
And I think actually the world was just besotted with Lady Di at the time, weren't they? They were enthralled her. Do you remember that she was, there's a bit of news uh, probably made up that she had roller skated down the corridors of, of uh, Kensington yeah. Palace, listening to Duran Duran on her walk. And uh, which is the first time in England really connected a you member of the royal family with pop music. So and she actually looked like a member of Duran Duran. We're talking about, what are we talking about? 1985. 1985. Okay. Uh, she was the most famous person of the 80s, wasn't she? Yeah. Internationally. So yeah. She, she was more famous than all the pop stars were on Live Aid. Completely, because there's a bit at the beginning, which I don't remember actually, where, where they film everybody lining up to meet her. And they are so excited. And they're all there. David Bowie's there. Queen's there. You know, everyone's there. And they talk about what it's like. And they say that she was mildly flirtatious with everybody. It's fantastic. Uh, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. I mean, remember, so, Bob Geldof changed his slot. He was he he he, he told he kicked uh, Midge off and told him there's a technical problem. Could he take the early slot and could Midge go on later just so he could perform in front of Lady Di? Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, a pretty mean trick, actually. Uh, also, it, nonsensical, because actually the later slot would have been far better, because the later Live Aid got, the bigger the audience was. But I suppose... Oh, God, that's another thing we should talk about, the size of the audience. I, so, I suppose also, just uh, one more thing on The Princess of Wales. This is before giving interviews to Martin Bashir. This is before um, the era that we're in now, where we... We expect all members of the royal family, apart from her Madge, to be on the telly all the time talking about their feelings and, and you know, and what's going on in the world. Yeah. In 1985, that didn't happen, and so consequently, you know, on the the old pop star wisdom is that if you want to, your mystique to grow, don't talk to the media. Well, she didn't in those days, did she? She did. She did later. Yeah. When she, when she done it later. You're a lot less, uh, you know, a lot less excited. So if, you know, Prince Harry appears in your front garden nowadays, you draw the curtains, don't you, really? <laughs> it's kind of... It's just you walk no, away no, with an angry not, fist. No, it's just not exciting anymore, <laughs> no, it's is not, it? It's no. not just me. No, um, absolutely. Whereas in 1985, it kind of was. It was. It was thrilling. So yeah, that's that's. It was thrilling. So yeah, the numbers. Uh, somebody the numbers. Was, there was a thing that I, I think I said yesterday. I'd seen in the Times, where the Times had printed forty percent um, of the global population of the population live. So I thought, where did they get that from? So I, I just googled live aid. Of course, they get it from Wikipedia. Wikipedia says that 1.9 billion people. 40% of the global population watched it in 150 countries. I mean, I can't think of a statistic that is more colossally wrong. 200, sorry, 2,000 million people in 150 countries apparently had access to television and simultaneously turned on Live Aid. That's just so far off the truth. I mean, a lot of those countries didn't show it live anyway. They only had edits, didn't they? And uh, I, I told you, I've told you the story about when I went to... Uh, Ethiopia. Oh, you did. Years, That's right. Ten years after Live Aid, and and was in Tigray, which is the centre, the epicentre of the fa the famine, talking to farmers who'd been young farmers at the time, uh, who remembered the the famine and talk. And my translator was a was a kind of aid worker, uh, and he was Ethiopian, spoke excellent English. And kind of utterly au fait with the whole thing, and I had to put questions through these through him. And I said, "Can you ask them if they've ever heard of Bob Geldof?" I'm just interested. And he turned to me. He turned to me and said, 
who's Bob, Bob Geldof. Geldof. I know. And I thought, well, if somebody professionally involved in famine relief in the country where it was targeted hadn't heard the name, yeah, yeah there you're rather overestimating the, you know, the kind of shockwaves going through, I don't know, Nigeria or Sudan or South Africa or whatever, you know, at the time. It's something yeah. massively blown up, particularly by this country, because it's mostly part of this country. It was run Absolutely. by people in this country and featured yeah. people in this country. But yeah. I just thought that was so interesting. And the, the other thing I forgot was the unseemly uh, race between Jagger and Keith Richards to get on the bill. Because you remember the Rolling Stones didn't really exist at this time. We didn't know that then. But the Rolling Stones from 82 to 87 didn't really exist. Mick Jagger had kind of effectively left the group. Keith told me this in an interview. Well, he left know, the group and put that. out two, put out two solo albums which didn't. Uh, didn't but they did uh, that when Dirty it. Work came out in the middle of that period, didn't it? I think it did. But they certainly were daggers drawn. Uh, that the relationship. And then Mick got on the bill right. with, with Tina Turner, didn't he? And then he got the, the video with with David Bowie. And then Keith managed to pole vault right over him into the into the pole position of finishing the show, for better or worse. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I thought that was, and the other thing that's strong is the age. You know, the, 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 at the time there was a kind of old young hierarchy that existed. That's wasn't the there? thing. There was, there was kind of the, the old guard. But Paul McCartney was forty-three. Yes. Um, you know, Mick Jagger was forty-two. Freddie Mercury was thirty-eight. Bowie thirty-seven. You thought of those guys, Rick Parfitt thirty-six. You thought of those guys as washed-up old guard living on borrowed time. It was almost over. And yet, you know, the age difference between them and the Adam Ant was thirty-one. So he was only just very slightly younger than that. And so now, I think if you had a Live Aid tomorrow, unimaginable, but if you did, you know, you'd have Britney Spears at 38. She'd be 38. She'd be virtually, you know, there are Spice Girls who are 48. Kylie Minogue is 52. You know, uh, it, it, <laughs> she really, really Mick, yeah, yeah. McCartney is 78 and Jagger's 77. Tom York would be now, he's 52, would be 10 years older than McCartney would have been then. And he would be one of the sort of young guard, wouldn't he? Morrissey is nearly 20 years older than McCartney. Isn't it funny how that kind of, that, that, I think that whole hierarchy has disappeared now. I don't think we think it of has. the old guard. Well, you see, in 1985... Was, in 1985 going. In 1985, there were kind of two generations, weren't there? There were uh, uh, the ones who, who, who were the driving force behind Live Aid were the Geldofs, the Mitchells, the you know, Duran Duran's uh, culture clubs and so forth. They're all the people who come, they, they're all come along in the late 70s, early 80s, and they appeared to be seizing the world. You know what I mean? And they invited in these washed up old guys. Yeah. You know. Knackered old kids. Knackered old kids. Oh, Crosby, you, Stills you, and Nash. We haven't even you, thought about it for years. You could, you could do a tune, you know, all these people. And, of course, the great irony was that... The the ones who were brought into the fold, the old gits, went on to flood to 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 start the show, start the show, and have had a, another fabulous their thirty-five all years. Over, absolutely, all they rebooted over. their careers and ended the careers of a lot of other ones. Well, they also, you know, you, I mean, you, you, know, you, you look Nick at Kershaw, the, you know, Nick Kershaw, Howard Jones. I'm sure the careers haven't. Of course, they're still going, but I mean, they were big deals at the time. But you, know? but you look at the big stars, the the younger stars, you know, the kind of the Shah days, you know, people like that. Yeah. Have they, do they have any hits afterward, after that? No, no. I mean, she has pretty solid album sales, doesn't she? I don't, mean, sure. like, but just, I, I don't think she goes out and tours or does any kind of live promotion or anything like that. But, I mean, she's kind of she's gone off the radar, hasn't she, completely? But, but, I mean, just generally, that generation of groups, it was kind of, it was as far as they got, got up. 
Whereas yeah. they boot, rebooted the 60s, the people who come through in the 60s into, as you say, another 35 years or something. Mm -hmm. You know, you say, they, there ought to be a special a, you know, branch of mathematics devoted to the study of this thing. We talked about it the other week. You know, it's now 50 years since Bob Dylan's self-portrait. It's 50 years since Bob Dylan was washed up. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was all over. Oh, yeah, it was. period. It's now 50 years. 50 years later. <laughs> and, he's, and he's got a number one album. He's got a number one bloody record. <laughs> Everybody's right? falling over themselves. How good it is. Which indeed yeah. it is. It's yeah. fantastic. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. So, uh, yeah, it kind of redrew the mathematics of popular music, didn't it? That whole thing. Uh, and Cat Stevens, what would have happened to him? He was there. Well, I, I was talking there. I, I was, sorry. But they, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let something drop here. Uh, I can't, Stevens. <laughs> I dropped a, a name. Um, I was talking to Count Stevens only the other day. <laughs> as you I, do, as you do, uh, about about Live Aid, and I said, do you think you know you could have had another kind of another go round, you know? Because for loads of people, it was. He said, no, I was on my way out to that point. I wasn't but he was there. The point is, he was there. Oh, he was there. He was at there. Wembley Stadium. And you and I saw him. He was on our schedules. He was on our schedule. He was actually part of the programme. Yeah, he was gone in the afternoon. But he, he didn't do it because he, he didn't have a guitar. And he was, he was going to, what was he going to do? Read a... oh, uh, I can't tell you, Mark. It's, uh, it's copyright information. Go see the radio. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. But, uh, you know, he, I, I did say... You know, do you ever think about it? I mean, he's a very kind of, he doesn't live in the material world, does he really? As <laughs> seems Yusuf, uh, you Not know, remotely. he doesn't look at it in career terms. You know, he said, no, I wasn't bothered, really. I was getting away from that kind of thing. Which, because most people, it would be, he would have eaten them up for 35 years since, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, would. I could have gone on there. And started all over again. Oh, you've got to admire him for not. No, no, absolutely. absolutely. So great television. So great television. To to terrible television. Oh right, go on. David Foster. Oh god. Well, I, yeah, I've got. You to, mentioned it to me. Is Owen Parker? I a friend who's a musician. He 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 dropped me an email and says, "Have you seen this David Foster documentary? It's on Netflix." David Foster is a name I kind of vaguely know, but didn't really know much about. And so I watched it in order to, to learn about him. And, and if, you've, if you've ever, like me, wondered who was responsible for all the really terrible overstated <laughs> ballads that you hate but are really no, popular. Really popular. Celine Really Dion, popular. Barbara Streisand. There's your man. Air Supply. There's your man. Michael Bublé. Absolutely know. all of them. I couldn't believe how many he'd done. And he has, you know, he just has a, a feel for, for the terrible taste of the public. He knows exactly where it's based. You know, I watched and, a little bit of that documentary because you were telling me about it's called uh, Off the Record, isn't it? It's on Netflix. Oh, there you go. Really original title. Yeah, Off, yeah, the, off record. the Record. That's I don't, do right I, and it was just the most chillingly cold. Oh. And, you know, it's soulless, and it's about it's it's it, it's made by people who celebrate the idea that it's the it, it's about it's about the mechanics of making music. Do you know what I mean? It's about how you produce things and how you get a certain sound and how you manipulate the people you're working with to make something commercial. There's no suggestion that any of this could have any emotional impact at all, is there? Did you get that? Does it, does it, 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 it
Well, here's the deal. If you want me to produce your record, I'm going to play the bass, I'm going to play the keyboards, I'm going to co-write most of the songs, and I'm going to be dictatorial, and you're going to do what I say. And they have to swallow this, and uh, out comes the record. Of course, it's quite successful. Really successful. But they all make a point that it's, it doesn't sound like Chicago. Well, he, he couldn't give a monkeys. His job is just to go in there and get the biggest number of people to buy as possible. But it, it's, it's kind of worth seeing because it, it reminds you, it reminded me of what, what my frame of reference is, that, that Celine Dion appears in it. God, ooh, that's chilling figure, Celine she Dion. And, terrifyingly uh, thin. And she, she says, she says, there's only two greats, or something like this. That's right. There's only two greats, David Foster and Quincy Jones. And I think, I feel like going, just hold on, roll that back a second, Celine What What universe do we now live in? There are some others. What scale did you use to come up with that? There's Quincy Jones and David Foster. And I suppose the answer is a scale is just massive commercial success. It is. You know, it's as simple as that. There's no, there's no question of... But that's of the kind of yardstick. It's like when people, you know, you read obituaries or somebody's just died, they always sort of say, um, Grammy Award-winning star. And you just think, is, is that the most important thing, this person won a Grammy? Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. <laughs> It's, it's, it's the seal of their commercial uh, success that's the important thing, rather than some fabulous song that might have, might have it connected take, with people. This film features lots of my least favourite people. Keep popping up. I think it can only be a matter of time before Clive James comes. I'm not Clive James. <laughs> Sorry. We love Clive, Clive James. We love Clive James, the late Clive James. I, I'm thinking it can only be a matter of time before Clive Davis pops up. Sure enough. Yeah, he's there. Oh, pops Clive Davis. Clive Davis, who was chilling. He oh, was really chilly, yeah. and he's the only person I, 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 I used to. But you know, they, one of the signs of being a music fan is that you don't just—it's not just what you like; it's what you don't like. And I used to. There used to be one record company that I hated, and I actually think I probably still do. Not the record companies really exist anymore. And I used to. I may have a couple of their of the records on that label behind me there, but they will have been bought, you know, against my better judgment, really. And that is Arista. Oh, I always hated Arista. 
I always felt Arista just had no kind of grit. Arista had no funk. You know, there was no humor in Arista. And Arista, it's a very successful company in the in the end, thanks to, I don't know, Barry Manilow and all kinds of things. But, you know, but I just never liked it. And Arista was built in the image of Clive Davis. Yeah. And loads of people's careers have been built in the image of Clive Davis. Really successful careers. Whitney Houston, people like that. You know. yeah. Clive Davis does genuinely understand what some people like. But he also, by accident, seems to understand what I loathe. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's one of his priorities, but it's just a kind of side effect of the whole thing, you know. Uh, You're so right. But the other thing that's about that, about that world is there's no humility in it at all. Oh, you know, no, David Foster was the least likable person. I'm sorry. But there's a bit where he's telling his own story, and he talks about playing the piano when he's three or something, and he says to his mother, said, that's an E you're playing there. And he said, you know, I, I, he basically says, I was a genius. Yeah, you know, I was a musical genius. Now, it's not made. It's not for you to say whether you're a genius or not. You know, it's for other people to say that you're a genius and you need to be impossibly modest and, modest and blushing about it. But none of that, but, with, it. None of that uh, with our Dave. No modesty. Not at all. No modesty, false or otherwise. None. So, you know, if you fancy the evening having your teeth set on edge in front of Netflix, you can't go better. That I just watch half an hour of... Uh, What's it called? On the record or off it's the record? On the, it's called no, off the record. Yeah, it's oh, on Netflix, and it's I mean it's excruciating. Yeah, and and as an antidote, surely go back on. and listen to some of those early Judy Judy Dibel uh, records. Oh, right. Judy Dibel, I mean, you know, what a what a wonderful. Well, she died. Okay. So she died uh, last week, I think it was, wasn't it? She did, and I mean. I, d- I didn't really know very much about her. She was the original singer in Fairport Convention. Yeah. So her first album came out on Polydor and she was the singer. And then... She'd been to school with Ashley Hutchinson, she? So she comes so around... She'd gone to all the... Yeah, she, she went to school very near... Right around the corner from you, actually, yeah. with Green and all that. And, and she went to... She, she then went to all the folk clubs. She met Richard Thompson, with whom she was going... I didn't know that she was Richard Thompson's girlfriend. Well, because Richard Thompson was up the road in Finchley. Ashley Hutchinson bounds Green. Simon yeah. Nichols... Hill. They're all local round here, um, so that's how that, that's how they kind of came together. But between the first album and the second one, she was uh, she was edged out <laughs> in, in a fashion that uh, that you don't normally associate with your matey, you know, your matey uh, real, old real ale, real, real ale, ale quaffing folkies. No, no, you're tree hugging. No, no, I thought they, that was a bit shocked. They got rid of her like David Foster would have got rid of her. They did I thought it was so sad. You know, she but, talked about, but, very bravely talks about how I think she just split up with Richard, and they clearly had just met Sandy Denny, hadn't they? absolutely, because no Sandy Denny was in twenty minutes after she was out. But then she that awful story that she put on her uh, on her website. She wrote her own very very good bio. It's really interesting, and how much she had to fly out for the last gig in, in Rome. Coming back, nobody went to the airport to see her off. There's nobody to meet her when she got home. Can you imagine how you felt being kicked out by your old boyfriend and his band going on to great things? And she would have been very young uh, at the time. God, she would have been about what 2021 or something. Probably not not even that old. She had three years of of kind of intense activity. You know, after that, she met um, Giles, Giles McDonald, Fripp, and all that lot. And she was the, in the original, really, in the original King and Crimson, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. You know, she records a version of her recording Talk to the Wind, uh, which you can still get on the, on the internet, which is the second track on the, on the um, uh, uh, Crimson King album. 
Right. And so she was right. And then she talked about meeting David Gray. I'm coming around to her flat and how terrifying he was. And, you know, uh, what an odd bloke. And uh, they had a flat. She and her boyfriend in, in Notting Hill. She used to hide when he was around there. But she met absolutely everything. She recorded with Rod Stewart. She formed a band with Lowell Coxhill. You know, she then, there was the Trader Home, that group Trader she formed. Horn, yeah. Trader Horn. Trader Horn, sorry. Trader they, Horn, they, sorry. The, um, but the, the interesting thing that I never knew, that I only learned when reading about her after she died, was that, or one of the interesting things, was she, she married Simon Stable. Simon oh, Stable. yes. Simon Stable is a name that kind of got completely lost, but was it... Count was Simon de la Bedoyer or, or whatever. What was his, what was his real name? Uh, like, something something like that. But he was known in the early days of International Times, it's sort of 1967, 68, 69, possibly. Scene maker. He used to... Groover. He, re he reviewed records. And and, uh, and they were known as reviewed the records in Simon's Stable. Get it? Play on words. Simon's yeah. Stable, because his name was Simon Stable. And I used to find it really exciting. Simon Stable has heard the new Blodwin Peak album, you know, when nobody else knew or cared. And uh, yeah, so she she married him. And then they kind of they sort of withdrew. And they, well, didn't she work as a librarian? I think she did. She was a librarian before. And I think she went back to being a librarian after. Late, late, in later and life. And she retired and she gave it all up. It's really interesting because so few people do this. Vashti Bunyan did actually come and think of it. Vashti Bunyan was out of it for about 35 years and then came back. But well, she, she had kids, didn't she? So she did, yeah, exactly the same with both of them. And fair enough, you know, wonderfully just thought, right, I'm going to go for a completely different life. Mm. And she eventually, Judy Darbell, went back and I think did something at Crop Reedy with, with Fair Paul Convention and sort yeah, of got did. back into it. She did. Before. But she and Simon used to run, apparently for quite a long time, a tape duplicating company. And I never knew this. So in the days before CD, when you and I would get sent an advance release tape of the new Boomtown Rats album on an actual cassette, yeah, that yeah. had probably been produced from their company. It was in Northampton or somewhere like that. Because... They probably had to have that stuff done by people that trusted. Yeah. They, weren't, they weren't going to sprinkle it around radio stations and you know, get it bootlegged and so forth. And so they had that business for quite a long time. And then she came back and, uh, yeah, as you, as you say, uh, and, and, you know, and, and had, a bit of a, had a bit of an Indian summer in terms of attention because that's the interesting thing to me that there's been a lot of comment, you know, post her death and uh and the very little comment 40 50 60 years ago you know what i mean it's it just shows how interested all that area has grown and grown and grown over Completely. the years um which is amazing whole new generations of people going back and listening to all those See, records. multiple generations of people. yeah 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 so um yes sad for her so a book i read Go on, Which I right. recommend, Shellac and Swing by Bruce Lindsay. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. This guy, Bruce Lindsay, has written a, a book about, well, it's about Shellac. It's about the story of the gramophone. Right. And it starts in the late uh, 19th century with the invention of recording, smoked paper, uh, followed by the wax cylinder, and then eventually the, 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 the Shellac recording through the kind of, uh, through the, the funnel directly through the needle and onto the disc, you know. 
And I discovered just all sorts of interesting things. One is that you kind of think of the idea of portable music as being something quite recent. You know, in my case, it was the battery operated record player. You click back the arm. Do you remember those? Came out in the mid 60s. Oh, yeah. Go and sit in a field and play blonde on blonde. You thought, this is the most amazing thing. I'm playing the music I want to hear in the place I want to hear it at the time I want to hear it, you know. But I mean, otherwise, it's really the cassette and it's the it's the iPad. You know, seem to have kind of changed the thing. But in fact, there were portable gramophones, portable gramophones in the very early twentieth century. Well, you see, I was a story about this woman who swims the Channel called Lily Smith, and she swims the Channel. And in the book, he says that she sustained herself physically with beef tea, grapes, and rice pudding, and with a gramophone on her pilot boat, which played exhilarating tunes. As she swam. We see, that's we see, that's the bit. That's the beauty of the, the wind-up gramophone, is it was wind-up. You didn't yeah. have electricity. So, you know, that uh, you know, Bertie Wooster or, you know, characters in Brideshead who visited yeah. would take a gramophone, you know, to go and lie down by the river, wouldn't they, and have a, That's right. a picnic and yeah. play a few records because they could just wind it up, you know, whenever like The original it Dixieland jazz band or something. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And there's another interesting thing. Was it talks about the first DJ, and I think you know about this guy, a guy called Christopher Stone. Oh, right, yeah. Generally thought of as being the first DJ. Wireless was invented in 1920, and in 1927, the BBC, BBC started, I think, in 22 or something. And in 27, he's given his own show. And the idea is that it's billed as a recital of gramophone records arranged by Mr. Christopher Stone. Mm-hmm. And this is a sort of chummy old soul. He, sort of says, he said, I grew up, you might say, with a song in my heart. And there's this kind of amiable chat in between the records. And that becomes the first actual kind of DJ show. And it's so successful that he went off and started to perform live. So he did a whole week at the London Palladium where he took the stage and topped the bill with various comedians underneath it. And his thing was just playing records, you know. At one point, he played a record backwards. I'm not quite sure what the point of this was, but it was La Donna e Mobile by Caruso. Uh, right, he yeah, plays yeah. it backwards, you know, to prove the wonderful versatility of the, uh, of the record. But I love that, though. He had 12,000 discs. And I think he's genuinely thought of as being the man who invented the concept of DJing, not only DJing, live and out there you know on the circuit but 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 doing his own own program on the radio talking about mobile music funny thing happened to me yesterday go on i went as you know for the first time in over four months into the west end of london that was my great adventure i've been i've just been craving to go into the west end of london just to see what it was like you know I know you went earlier on during lockdown. You went on your bike. Well, I don't... I've I'm, been all over I'm, London. Bike, I'm a bit yeah. too far away to do that. But anyway, um, so I took by, by a combination of overground train and Shanks's pony. Uh, I got into the West End. And I was walking down German Street on my way back to take a book back to the library. And I thought, this really unusual sound in German Street. It's a busker. Because busking in you know, German Street, they, they keep a very tight ship down there. And um, and buskers nowadays, you know, they, they announce themselves by the sound of amplified music, don't they? It's not it's not yeah. a it's not a warm little acoustic sound, is it? It's a booming kind of, you know, ignore me if you dare kind of over amplified thing. And I thought, is this happening down German Street? Well, I'll walk a bit faster, I'll get away from it. And it just this music kept up with me. And I walked down to St. James's Square and he was still keeping up with me. This music, I was getting something really kind of cross, really. And I turned around and there's some you. 
there some person I can only describe as a twat <laughs> is, is, is walking down the street, middle of the day, he's wearing a suit, he's carrying <coughs> some sort of, you know, 21st century descendant of the boombox. He's playing some horrible kind of, I don't know, sub-Ed Sheeran singer-songwriter. Who's he doing that for, for crying out loud? And why can't he do it for himself? You know, why can't he put the phones on? Physically assault him, you know. Did you have a word? You see, you can't have a word with something like that. Because part of the reason they're doing it is that they want you to have a go and they've got some prepared answer which they're going to unleash. Or worse. Or worse than a prepared answer. That's true. Um, that's so, true. yeah, that was um, that was the low point of my uh, of my adventure in the West End yesterday. But how thrilling! Because you did you did nearly twelve miles. You walked twelve miles. Right? I walked twelve miles. I went into a record shop. I went and bought a book at um, uh, what do you call Daunt's in Marylebone High Street. And uh, yeah, and I, I when I came back, I was absolutely exhausted, as you can imagine. As you would be after twelve miles. It's, a, it's, it's ridiculously. <laughs> I worked out that that's that's the same as walking from your house in uh, in in, uh, in Old Southgate to Wembley Stadium. That's a long way. Yeah, that would be yeah considerably less pleasant that journey because it takes you a long time. The North Circular, yeah, which I, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend to anybody. But anyway, so I've um, you know satisfied my curiosity about the West End. I shall go back then. I think I'll return because shops. I mean, they've got staff in them, you know, and they're just looking out the window, you know, looking out the door, you know, casting, you know. Sort of flirtatious looks of potential <laughs> shoppers. Please, God, giving you the come on, give you the crook, crook in finger, here. and just you know buy something, anything, you know. And I have a great sympathy for them. Um, maybe so many pubs around here, pubs around, I mean, but there's nobody really in them. Maybe that's just because Chiswick in West London isn't the kind of most hopping part of the world in terms of. Uh, I really felt like I was disappearing into a pub and having a pint of games. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. We should mention before we go that we did Graham Park. We talked to Graham Park for a word in your attic. We did. fantastic, I thought. It was terrific. Well, we also did Will Birch this week, didn't we? Did we mention Yeah, yeah, he he was also Um, extremely good. uh, They've all been wonderful. But I thought Graham Park, there were so many good bits in it, not least of it where he's talking about scaring off bears with fireworks in his garden. (laughs) He lives in the cat skills. That's great. Which makes it seem a bit tame living around here. But there's a bit where he talked very movingly about it. He said, I think I'm retired now. I I can't imagine I'm I'm, I'm ever going to tour again. And Parliament doesn't miss it. And he talked about the business of going to sound checks. I thought it was very moving. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've just no idea what it's like arriving time after time, <laughs> four o'clock in the afternoon, in some kind of gloomy, sticky hall or floored. Smell, floor. of, smell of last night's beer. Smell of old beer. That's right. You know, and having to sit there and try out the microphones. He said, on, you know, often on your own or with your driver or whatever, you know. But he said, mm-hmm. That's a, it's a very dispiriting thing. And I thought that was really well put, you know. And it just reminded me of Nick Lowe talking about trying to um, trying to enliven the whole touring process. And he said they had this wonderful game, I think I've told this before, this wonderful game that they, when they were on the tour bus, particularly going around America, they what they do before they set off is that they would go out and they would put a colour or their initials on the on the on the wheel hub, the nut, the wheel nut on the hub of one of the wheels on the front of their tour bus. 
right? So they'd write their name in it or a custom state. That was their, their nut. And they would put their marker on it. And then they'd all put $20 in a hat. And when they got to the venue, they would rush out. And the person whose nut was closest to the venue won all the money. <laughs> Don't you think that's fantastic? Isn't that a brilliant way of kind of just generally keeping the old uh, balloon in the air? And keeping oh, the spirits dear, up. Right. You're sitting there on this long and interminable journey. You think, well, at the end of all this, I could still be winning $160. Great. It's good, isn't it? It, it really does stress how absolutely everything, apart from the show, is unbelievably boring, isn't it? Yeah. The people who just do, do it all the time. Not exciting. All the kind of things that, that we as kind of dilettantes find exciting. Yeah. They just, they just can't the journeys, the, the hotels, the hanging around, the meeting people. None of that. The sense of impermanence. We like that. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's a change from our normal life. Whereas for them, it's, oh, God, why would anybody <laughs> want to do that? Because they've done it a million times. Yes, yes. So, well, anyway, will it ever come back in the light of... Um, there's a great piece in Rolling Stone with lots of people talking about it, and Bruce Springsteen and people, and they all talk about it. And you think, well, it's nothing to do with the money. You know, it's to do with the, it's their livelihood. It's the structure. It's a central structure. It's, it's what they do for a living. It's what they are. Well, it's like we've said, that was we've said, we we said millions of times, haven't we, on this podcast, that people ask, why do people keep on doing it? And the reason they keep on doing it is if you could keep on doing it, you keep on doing it. You could keep on doing it. Because it's it's a reason for living, isn't it? Completely. <laughs> and, Completely. And if you if you're Bruce Springsteen, in the end, what is Bruce Springsteen's most significant talent? Is it to write songs? No. Is it no, to play no, guitar? No. no. Is it to sing? No. His 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 overriding talent is he can light up a room like nobody else. Yeah. And once you can't do that anymore, that must be really upsetting. Really, I, I think so. And he's sitting there thinking, we just don't know. We're, that's the big problem. We're completely uncertain what the future's going to hold. And that must be, that must be hard. It's very, very hard. Very hard. Two new patrons, Dave. Okay. We just yep. A.V. Chowdhury. Right. Hello. Andrew David Nelson. Thank you very much. Nice to, nice to mention, have you actually, We did our first birthday recording uh, the other day with uh, one of our subscribers. Alan Williams, who was terrific. Oh, we was did. A little word we did. erratic with him. When he was we correct. did, yes. So if it's, yeah, if you're, if you're uh, on the right level at Patreon, uh, we could be doing the same for you, come your birthday, whenever that is. And, uh, and we've got the usual quiz on Friday night, six o'clock quiz on Friday night. See how you can climb the leaderboard by, um, by engaging in completely empty tests of your command of pop music trivia sad i know but it keeps <laughs> us all going we like it this podcast was brought to you by the word Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.